Thank you for your words, Pastor Mark. Appreciate it. It is a blessing to be able to bring a message to you today. And as Pastor Mark said, I've been here a long time. Uh, tell you, and some of you know this story, but my life changed at 18 when I first heard the gospel. I was in a bad place. I did not know the Lord, and I was not doing well, but I met some legit Christians, and they invited me to church. I was actually a freshman in college at that time, and uh, he brought me on a journey. At first, I said, as a believer, great. God is in my life. I know where I'm going when I die. That's enough. But you know the Lord wants more for us than that, right? And uh, I wound up through a whole long story. My uh, roommate uh, for a while was uh, coming to this church. I came here, and as I got involved, and uh, Pastor Mark, of course, with his leadership, uh, I understood that there's more to life than just attending church, than just hanging around. You can actually participate, and it is so exciting. And so that's why I often talk to people about ministry and getting involved, and my wife sometimes says, stop, you're annoying them. As I'm giving them an opportunity, hon, I just want to make sure they know. So uh, it is a blessing to be involved. But hey, today, I'm glad for the chance to talk to you, and a couple weeks ago when Pastor Josiah asked if I could uh, take the message this Sunday, I told one of the guys here, I said, hey, I'm going to be preaching on January 30th, appreciate your prayers, got to figure out what, what I should talk about. And he said, wow, that's like the best Sunday of the year to preach. I thought, well, it's not really a holiday. Why, why you say that? He said, well, it's the last day of the fast. A lot of people are in a good mood. So hopefully you're in a good mood today. All right? Yeah, look at it that way. Hopefully you're in a good mood because if you've been fasting at all, you're going to put something on your plate that you haven't seen in a while today. Uh, hopefully you're happy, too, about something the Lord has been doing in your life. So I hope you have that going on, and it would be an awesome conversation to have. I want to hear what's been happening over these last three weeks, we're moving into eight weeks of small groups, the winter semester. You see the tables over there to your right. At the end, I'm going to encourage you. Uh, if you're not in a group, go check it out. Go meet some people. Sign up for a group. Come on in. We got a great set of groups. I'm representing the Fusion Couples Ministry. Some of us have these t-shirts. By the way, you see on the back, it's the name, and that's the year we got married. So that's, that's why the number's there, just in case you wondered, all right? And I love all the groups. I can only wear one T-shirt at a time, so no offense to the other groups. Okay, I'll wear another one next time. But uh, they're all great. But I want to talk to you today uh, about buckets. You say, what does that mean? It's not a basketball thing. I want to talk about buckets. Uh, thinking about bucket list. It's an interesting topic. And picture this like a, a bucket uh, list of, of what you're going to do with your life. You know, people make up bucket lists and if you look online, you see a bunch. Some of them are kind of lighthearted. Um, one I saw a, a woman put, I don't know why this caught my attention, just some real basic things, like she wanted to roll in the leaves and build a snowman. Maybe she grew up in Arizona, I don't know. I'm like, wow, it, that's not that hard to do. Um, and she was an adult. I'm like, let's talk about your childhood. But she had some real, she had set the bar low, good for her. One guy had like 100 things, really difficult, traveling all over the world, doing hard things, and really impressive, and he's, he's checked off most of them. Made me a little sad, though, because I realized almost everyone is just him having some amazing experience, like no one's there with him. There's only a few where someone was there with him, but they were just there to assist him, like, hey, can you hold the rope while I climb up here? Can you take a picture of me while I do this? Uh, they weren't really participating other than just assisting him. Kind of seemed a little, little self-centered. Made me feel a little sad, like, what if you get to the end of your life, even if you filled this bucket, and I have some rocks over here representing things you can put in there. Maybe you put a bunch of rocks in that bucket, and you fill it up, but you get to the end of your life, and what if you, what if you find out you were 
filling your bucket with the wrong things. And Jesus says something about uh, what does it profit someone to gain the whole world and, and what is it? And forfeit your soul. Someone that accomplishes great things and yet it's not what the Lord wanted them to do. So I want to try and convince you today, the Lord has a bucket list for you. He really does. It's good to have a bucket list. It's goal-oriented. It's, it's uh, something specific. We shouldn't just be passive in life and just take whatever comes to us. We should have goals, but may they be goals that we're going to be rewarded for at the end of our life. So I want to talk to you about that. The big idea, if you're going to put this in one sentence, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. You are a miracle with a purpose that needs a community. You are a miracle with a purpose that needs a community. Let me try and convince you of that, all right? We're going to look at that in, in the life of uh, one person who's real central in the Bible, and hopefully you see some of yourself in some of these stories. So first thing, if you're taking notes, is pursue your purpose. Pursue your purpose. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is a passage that talks about how to enter into the Christian life, and you're probably familiar with this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We just took communion, right? We refer to that. We have all done wrong. We've all sinned. That's why we needed the perfect Son of God to die in our place on the cross so that we can be forgiven. We cannot work our way to heaven, cannot earn our way there. But our works still matter. Read the next verse. Read the next verse. For we are God's handiwork, Ephesians 2.10, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So let's walk through that a little bit, okay? It says, you are God's handiwork. That word handiwork can also be translated masterpiece, a work of art. Uh, it's related to the word for poem or song. God has made you unique. There, there's a, a song in a sense that you have to bring out of your life that's unlike anybody else, and it's beautiful, and people need to hear it. They're going to be blessed by it. You're different than anybody else. So when you compare yourself or feel bad about hey, God has made you a certain way. There's things he wants to do in your life. You are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus. That means you're responsible to him. He has ownership over you. You're made in God's image. It's like he put a trademark on you, a copyright, all rights reserved, right? So we're not just in life able to grab whatever we want to put in our bucket, anything that sounds good, fun, interesting. That, that's not the way we should live our life. He says, you're God's handiwork. There are things he has prepared for you to do. That sounds like a bucket list, right? Specific things for you, different than for you, different than for me. Our list may overlap. Maybe we'll work together on some of them, but they're distinct. He made us different, different personality, background, temperament, different giftings, different things that we've, we've learned. So there's a bucket list for you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 2, 10 talks about that. Now I want you to think about this in the life of uh, somebody we read a lot about in the Bible, Peter. First time we run into him, Matthew 4.19, Jesus calls him to follow him. He says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So Peter and his brother Andrew, they ran a fishing business. They were successful businessmen. They employed people. They made a living. Jesus calls them to go with him, in a sense, be some of his apprentices. They are willing to leave everything. They, somehow they knew enough about Jesus to want to follow him. So they leave it, and Jesus, right when they start following him, he doesn't say to them, come follow me and I'll forgive you, even though that's true. He doesn't just say, come follow me and I'll bless you. I'll make you a better fisherman. 
No, he says, come follow me. I will make you something you're not right now. You will become a different type of person. You will fish for people, which means he's going to lead people. He's going to gather people. He's going to influence people. He had a calling to evangelism, to bring the gospel to people, to gather people into the kingdom, and to lead people. And if you know the story, he becomes that man, that leader of many people. You see in the book of Acts, the first half, Peter is an all-star being used tremendously by the Lord. But he didn't get there easy. Uh, our lives have a lot of twists and turns, right? So let's look at what happens to him. So first thing is pursue your purpose. Second thing, don't fight the wrong battles. Peter gets into a couple of ditches, and uh, these are things that can happen to us, so I, I feel like it's good to look at this together here. So for three years, Peter and the other disciples, they're following Jesus, and slowly but surely, they begin to realize this is not just a teacher or a rabbi or a prophet. Who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? He speaks to the weather and it changes, right? He performs miracles. One time he was walking on water and Peter, who was a bold person, he was a strong personality. He said, can I walk on water? And Jesus said, yes. If you know that story, he steps out of the boat, very dangerous thing to do, and he starts walking on water. He did fall and needed to be rescued, but he walked on water for a little bit. He experienced a miracle in his body, actually walking on water. They saw Jesus raise people from the dead, right? So they know, hey, we're, this is something from God. This is something amazing we're moving toward. And yet there was this dark cloud that now and then Jesus would talk about, I'm going to be betrayed and handed over and go to the cross. The disciples had a real hard time with that. It didn't make sense. Victory, they understood. Uh, defeat did not make sense. Well, they have the Last Supper, and Jesus is talking about this. And then one of the disciples understands that Jesus is going to die, but he takes it the wrong way. Judas says, I'm going to jump off of this team. I'm going to cash out. I don't want to be on this, in this team anymore. So he leaves. Look at this, John 18, 2 and 3. Judas has gone to the enemies and said, I can tell you where to find Jesus. And so we read, now Judas, John 18, 2, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Now think about what's going through Peter's mind here. They lived their whole lives, these people, under brutal oppression. The Roman Empire was horrible to people. Uh, they crucified anyone they considered a threat to slowly torture them to death so that everyone else would see, don't go against us, or that might happen to you. These people all saw people crucified. They would do it publicly so everyone would see it. Uh, they, they experienced oppression, injustice, abuse, and trauma in every way. If you remember the story when Jesus was a baby, Herod heard that the Messiah had been born, and so he made an order that all the baby boys two years old and under would be killed in the area around Bethlehem. And so soldiers went into houses, took babies out of their families' arms, and killed them right there. Why? Because the Roman Empire was crazy, brutal, oppressive. They treated these people horrible. Well, they grew up hearing those stories, understanding that, living that. So Peter wants his people to be free from this oppression. Several times they asked Jesus, are you going to defeat the Romans? Are you going to overthrow them? Can we make you king? And he said, not now. 
That's not what we're doing right now. But they still think it's gonna happen, and, and Peter believes when he sees this crowd coming, this must be it. This is the start of the, the holy war. We're gonna fight. I mean, the Messiah is, is on our side. Surely we're on the right side, and, and he knows how bad the Romans are. So look what happens. Verse 10, John 18. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now go, look at what's happening here. Peter thinks, this is it. We got to fight. He was probably the strongest personality, the most aggressive of the disciples. And the Lord uses every personality, right? He uses us all. Uh, Peter was an alpha male. He was ready to fight, not afraid of confrontation. And you notice the Jews, of course, were not supposed to carry weapons. The Romans were running everything. But Peter was packing. He said, I don't, I don't need a permit. I, I'm, I'll carry whatever I want to carry. So he was packing. And they show up, even though there's a bunch of soldiers, he's unafraid. He pulls out that sword, right? He's like, let's go. Come at us, bro. We got Jesus. Who you got? Right? He's confident. I mean, he's ready. So he thinks there's going to be a miracle here. Like maybe the feeding of the 5,000 came to mind. They just gave Jesus a, a few loaves of bread, a few fish, and he fed everyone. Maybe if I just start it, if I just draw a little blood, wow, Jesus will step in. I want to draw first blood. So he goes and he pulls out the sword. But notice, it's interesting, he does not attack one of the Roman soldiers, right? Instead, he attacks another Jewish man who is, I'm sure, unarmed. It's this high priest servant. It's like Peter goes after the intern, right? <laughs> he doesn't go after the soldiers. He pulls out his sword, let's fight! And I'm going to start with that guy, right? So he goes there, bam! I feel bad for that guy, don't you? I don't know if he was really against Jesus. Maybe he was just doing his job. They say, we got to go out here. And I'm speculating, but you know, there's always someone doing paperwork. Maybe this guy... You know, he should have been behind the soldiers, by the way. When there's a confrontation, you stand behind the law enforcement probably. But not, this guy, he seems to be in the front row. Malchus, he walks right up there. He's like, check in. Looks like there's 11 disciples. Bam! Whoa! All of a sudden, his body goes into shock. His ear is on the ground. There's blood flowing out. I'm sure the Roman soldiers grab their swords, pull them out like you guys want to fight. Okay. The disciples stood back. Most of them didn't have weapons, weren't looking for a fight. Peter thinks, this is it. I drew first blood. Now Jesus is going to do the rest. But Jesus does something that shocks Peter. He steps up and he opposes Peter. Put your sword away. It's not our time to fight like this. What? I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. What, what do you mean? But you know how bad these people are? You're going to let them arrest you? You know what they'll do to you? I, I can't believe it. Put your sword away. I have to go through this. So Jesus is arrested. The guards, the Romans aren't concerned about the disciples. They all scatter. And Peter is so confused and shocked, I'm sure. And it begins a very difficult time in his life. So don't fight the wrong battle. Somehow Peter, he was confident, full of faith. He saw a lot of victories, but now he somehow wound up fighting the wrong battle. That can happen to us, right? You can be doing real well in your spiritual life. Things are going great. 
And then somehow things change. You know, I thought the Lord was going to do this. Everything was leading up to this, and then it didn't work out. This relationship was going so good, and it failed. I thought I was going to get that job, or everything looked positive, but I would turn bad, and it's, we're disappointed with God. We're disillusioned. And maybe we get all fired up, and we, in a sense, start fighting the wrong battles. We're, we're grabbing things that we think the Lord wants us to have, and we're putting them in our bucket, and then we find out, man, it just doesn't work. That didn't work out for me. So let me ask you today, is there anything, thinking of this, anything that you're real angry about? Super angry. It keeps bothering you. Maybe it keeps you up at night. You're upset, mad at people. Now, there is a good anger. Jesus turned over the tables of the money changers, right? There's a time to be angry. There's a time to stand up, obviously, for justice and for righteousness and for what God wants you to do. Anger isn't all bad, but there is an anger that leads us into hatred and leads us to being so against people. We want people to suffer, even die, even even maybe fantasize about cutting their ear off. Man, we can get there. Peter got there. So, so how can that happen? We wind up fighting the wrong battle, picking up a sword. Uh, here's a conversation I have sometimes with people, and just hear me out. It's just a conversation I have, so I don't know if this happens to you or if you're a part of this. Over the last few years, sometimes I'm talking with people, especially typically a group of guys, and if we're talking about ministry or life with God, the spiritual life, some guys are kind of laid back, lukewarm, even a little apathetic, like, What's God doing in your life? Uh, you know, same, same things. Things are all right. I don't know, nothing special. Uh, what are you going to do this year? Anything new? You, are you in a group at all? Are you a small group? You want to join a ministry? What do you feel like God's called you to do? I don't know. I'm just kind of taking it day by day. Talk, you, how are you doing? Trying to share your faith with anyone? Well, you know what? I don't want to try and force my beliefs on people. I, you know, if they ask, I'll tell them. Um, I pray for people. You know, I try and just be a good example. Then somebody brings up something about politics, and that guy flips. He's like, wait a minute. Let me tell you something. No, you listen to me. Let me tell you something. This side is all good. This side is all bad. Let me explain something to you. And they're super articulate, super passionate. I mean, they've gone from like on a scale of 1 to 10 from like a 2 about spiritual things to a 10 on political issues or current events. And I want to say, why? Why is that? Why, why is the same guy so laid back about some things and so passionate about other things? And so I try and ask, where are you getting that from? I'm not saying your beliefs are wrong. And listen, Peter had a lot of reasons to hate the Roman Empire, a lot. So it's not that he didn't have truth on his side in a lot of ways. But I'll ask people, uh, let me ask you know, where you're getting these points from. They're interesting points, good points, but... Who do you listen to? And so I like to ask, what, what shows do you watch during the week? I'm curious. What, what podcasts do you listen to? What programs? And I find that some people have kind of a part-time job listening to things about politics or current events. Now, now listen to me. I know for some people, they love that. and Maybe, maybe that's your thing. But I, I just want to challenge you. Is that where you want to put that much time? I'm not saying don't have opinions, don't talk about it, and thank God we live in a free country and we need to exercise our rights. But how much, how much do you want to do that? Because some people spend a lot of time on, on this bucket, which wasn't maybe from the Lord, maybe it's from the world, and they never get around to this bucket. And Man, there's people that were in your life, maybe the Lord put them there, and they needed to hear your testimony about Jesus, but they only hear your testimony about the news. 
God has given you a song, a unique song uh, to represent with your life, but some people are not a song. They're more of an echo of the news that they've heard, right? So be a song, not an echo. Don't just repeat those, those opinions and those views. So I'm just asking you, is there anything in life where the Lord might say to you, put your sword down? Not that there isn't truth there, but this isn't the battle for you to fight right now. I want you to do something else. Jesus explained this a little bit. Look at John 18, 36, when he stands before Pilate as he's tried all during the night, interrogated and beaten. He says this beautiful thing. It helps us understand it. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Hmm. Now, Peter obviously didn't get this because he did fight to prevent his arrest, right? Uh, and Malchus suffered because of that, but he didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom is from another place. So we influence the world, we fight against certain things, uh, but we're not like every other kingdom. Jesus said, I'm not the same type of king as other kings, and my kingdom is from another place. So is there anything you need to let go of? I'm, let me just ask you that. If, if you're super angry, mad about certain things, just would you surrender that to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be angry about the things you're mad about. I'm willing to be mad when you want me to be mad, but I'm willing to let go of other things. I'm willing to fight the battles you call me to fight because you can't fight every battle. You can't pick up every rock. You can only do so many things. So don't fight the wrong battles, please. All right? Pursue your purpose. Don't fight the wrong battles. Don't love the wrong things. So this is the beginning of a really difficult period for Peter. Think about how disillusioned he was, how upset. And you know, Jesus had told him on, at the Last Supper, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny me three times. Peter doesn't believe it. He's like, no way. Peter was a bold person. He said, I would never deny you. I would die for you before I would deny you. And yet throughout the night, as Jesus was arrested. Peter's so confused and he's, his faith is shaken. Uh, some of the disciples hang out. They try and blend in with the crowd just to see what's happening where Jesus is being interrogated. And someone comes to Peter and says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? He says, no, no, no. He denies it. Someone else says, yeah, I think I, I saw you with him. He says, no, you think all us guys look alike. Man, no, that, that, I'm not one of them. Someone else says, no, you talk like one of them. No, no, I'm not from that area. No, and he, he curses them out. That's not me. And then the rooster crows in the morning, and he remembered, oh, he wasn't going to do that. I'm not going to deny Jesus, and then he did it. Have you ever said, I'm never going to do this, or I'm never going to do it again, and then you do it, and you go, man, I did the exact thing I promised I wouldn't do. I am becoming the person I said I wouldn't become. Maybe I grew up seeing certain people. I said, I'll never be like them. And then I start to be that way. And I go, ah, oh, how is that happening? It's a horrible thing. Peter's faith is shaken. He's getting into a, a weird place here. And uh, Jesus predicted in Luke 22 that, um, that uh, he would be sifted. Satan would, would try and sift him and shake him. And he's going through that now. It's a very difficult time. Well, the timeline is Thursday night was the, the Last Supper. And then they go to the garden and Jesus is arrested. The disciples have to flee. All night long, Jesus is tried, interrogated before Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas, and they finally sign off on him being crucified. So Friday morning, the rooster crows. 
Peter realizes, I messed up. He's at a horrible place spiritually, probably full of doubt, self-loathing, condemnation. Jesus goes to the cross from about 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Friday, dies for our sins. The disciples, shocked, trying to understand what's going to happen next. His body is taken down, put in the tomb. Uh, Saturday is a Sabbath. They, they kind of hide out. They don't do anything. They stay away. Sunday morning, a few of the women decide to go to the tomb to bring spices to honor Jesus and anoint the place, kind of like we bring flowers to a gravesite. Well, they go there, and God bless these women. They're, they're heroic, aren't they? I mean, they go there, and they don't know if the Romans are going to grab them. They don't know. They say, who's going to roll away the stone? But somehow they, they say, even though we don't understand everything, we're going to go. Just out of love for Jesus, we want to honor him. So they go there, and you know the story. The stone is rolled away, and there's nobody in the tomb. Then an angel appears to them and says, he is not here. He has risen. Yeah. So they find out Jesus has risen. They go back, tell the disciples. Uh, the guys don't believe him until they go and see it for themselves. Some people don't believe you. They have to figure it out for themselves. That's okay, right? Uh, Peter is so bewildered. He actually runs into the tomb. Good for him. He was so curious. So when he, he finds out the tomb is empty. Jesus appears to them shortly after that, twice, and they realize he's alive. And now they're really wondering what's going on, and they're shocked and they still think, and we see this in Acts 1, maybe uh, we're going to fight the Romans now. Now that you did that, now can we defeat the Romans? They're still trying to understand what's going to happen in the future. Peter still feels a certain amount of shame, I'm sure. He had failed. Uh, maybe he thought, boy, Judas was horrible, but am I that much better than Judas? Am I still on this team? Maybe I've disqualified myself. Maybe someone else is going to take my role. Maybe John is going to get to do what I was supposed to do. So he's going through this difficult time. You could call that a spiritual concussion. You know how a physical concussion is a, a bruise to the brain, right? And I think I had a couple when I was young, and don't make a joke, but I think I had a couple when I was young, just from playing more pickup games, sports games, but just getting leveled sometimes when I just was knocked out. And um, it's a weird thing, right? You can't remember things. You're out of it. You, you've just, you can't do anything. You're just, your brain is on pause and you can't think straight. I believe that can happen to our soul. We go through a traumatic time, uh, extremely disappointing or difficult or something changes in our life. It's a spiritual concussion. We're kind of out of it. We used to have such clear faith. Now we're not sure. And did I really hear from God? And is this promise for me? And I just feel like I'm just going through the motions. One big difference though, a physical concussion, it's good to isolate yourself and everything, not have a lot of noise. Don't isolate yourself if you're having a spiritual concussion. The enemy, the devil, wants people to isolate when they're going through a hard time. and Maybe it's a relational issue. They have a conflict with someone in the fellowship and they isolate and then their faith decreases and decreases and gets weaker and weaker. If you're having a hard time spiritually, come around and just lean on the faith of other people. Sometimes you just need to be around and if you're going through a good time, invite those that are having a hard time just to be around, just to hang out in an atmosphere of faith. It's so good to worship. <clears throat> you know, worship, it does so many things, but I love it. Of course, our worship team is tremendous, and I love the songs they pick because they're songs that are sung to God, not just about God, right? They're actually prayers put to music, right? 
it's tremendous. So I would encourage you, seriously, get here on time. Make the most of it. And if you feel out of it, here's what worship music sometimes does. I've had this, I don't even feel like praying. I don't know what to pray. But, you know, if I just sing along, it's, it's like I'm being led by the hand. Just say this. Say this. And you might feel like you're just going through the motions. But eventually, your heart gets into it. And you make the words your own. It becomes your prayer. So worship music helps bring you into prayer. brings healing to our soul. It helps us connect with God and overcome that spiritual concussion. So we need fellowship. We need worship. John 21, look at this. After we look at don't fight the wrong battles, don't love the wrong things. This is just about a week later, but Peter's gone through so much. Now he's down, he's out. The one great thing we see here is that he hangs out with some brothers. It says in the beginning of the chapter, and I'm not gonna read it all, but I encourage you to read John 21. He's hanging out with six other guys. So a group of seven guys, which is interesting, it's about the size of an average small group. They're hanging out together Peter says, I want to go fishing. All six guys go with him. That's great. Maybe they knew he was down and out, and you know, maybe he probably felt like, man, I could have got us all killed. Why did I pull out my sword? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Um, but they don't shun him. They include him. They go fishing with him all night. And I imagine some of them didn't feel like going fishing. Maybe like, I don't want to go fishing. I knew he was going to say that. He always wants to go fishing. I do not want to go. But he, they go out on the boat all night long to spend time with Brother Peter healing, the fellowship. Well, things don't work out exactly. They don't catch any fish. But if you know the story, Jesus shows up on the shore, causes a whole bunch of fish to go into the net. They pull it in. They realize it's Jesus. And they sit down and have a fish fry buffet. Yeah, they have a whole bunch of fish, right? And so, listen, the Lord wants to bless us. He wants us to enjoy things. I know we're just finishing fasting, but it's okay. So the Bible says there's 153 fish which is interesting. I don't know why it gives us that number, but just to picture it. And with Jesus, then it was eight guys. So 153 fish to eight guys is a pretty good ratio, right? right? That's a lot of fish for each person. So look at this, verse 15, John 21. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter. I want you to see this, by the way, on a side note. Jesus needs to have this tough conversation. Peter had denied him. He needs to know he's back. He's accepted. He's restored. So first, Jesus feeds him before he talks to him. Seriously, for a lot of people, especially for men, before you have a tough conversation, feed him, okay? I'm talking to some wives, okay? Feed the man and then talk to him, okay? But you got to catch him after you feed him before he gets tired, okay? There's a window of opportunity between hungry and tired. That's the open door right there, right? Uh, and also, seriously, if you have sons, uh, moms and dads, if you have sons, you know, they may open up easily, but a lot of them, it's better if they're doing something together, like these brothers went fishing, or if you feed them and talk to them then. One other thing on that, I got to say, they didn't have to deal with this, but for us, one of the great enemies of that dinner table conversation is the cell phone. So I would encourage you, if you're a parent, uh, make a rule, no cell phones at the table, none, and don't have yours there either because you're allowing other people to interrupt your time. That may be the best time you have to speak into the lives of your kids. Don't let someone else interrupt it. They can wait. They can wait. They're not going to die, or if they do, it's not your fault. So uh, <laughs> don't let anyone else interrupt that time. It's short. So I would encourage you, no electronics at the table. Feed them, laugh, have a good time, and then bring up 
tough topics if you need to. So Jesus does that. After they eat, I'm sure they laugh and they, you know, I'm having fun and, you know, all the stuff guys do when they're eating, making some noises, messing around. And Jesus says, listen, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Wow. He restores him. Three times he had denied him. Three times he gives him a chance to express his love. Two words I want to point out to you here, okay? One is the word more. Right there uh, in the first time, he says, do you love me more than these? More than what? I believe he's talking about the fish because the verse before that talks about the fish. It wasn't bad to enjoy fishing. That's good. It wasn't bad for him. It brought back memories of being a business owner, being successful. And maybe Peter had thought, you know, I was a good business owner. Maybe I should just go back to that. I know how to make money. I understand fish maybe better than I understand people. Maybe I'll just go back to that and, and I'll, you know, give money to the church. But that, that's really what I'm good at. I don't want to exercise leadership with people. That reminds me of someone who's been through church hurt, right? There's been disappointment, usually relational conflict. I run to people a lot of times and say, you know, I love the service, want to be around, love the worship, love the preaching, but, you know, I don't want to do anything because I, I did that before. It didn't work out. Something went wrong. Please don't ask me to do anything, right? And I want them to know, it's usually not the right time to say it, but that's incomplete. You're missing out on the full Christian life. I know it's hard to get back in there and serve. And there's some healing that has to happen. But you don't want to stay on the sidelines uh, just uh, loving other things too much or not fulfilling your call. So first thing he says, love, do you love me more than the fish? Is there anything in your life that the Lord would say to you, you love this too much? Anything. That's why we just got through a season of fasting, right? To try and put food in its place. One of the things that people all over the world elevate to an idol. Make it the most important thing. And fasting is about saying food, although it's important, although it's fun, it's not going to be number one in my life. It's not going to be number one. I can say no to my body. I can make it wait. I can say not now. I can abstain. Listen, it's, it's putting food in its proper place. So is there anything else uh, you might have to say that about? Anything else in life that's too important to you and you have to put it to the side? Now, if it's a sin, we repent of it. But there's good things that we elevate into ultimate things. and They need to be put back down in that category of Good, optional, I'll enjoy it at certain times, but it's not going to run my life, right? So the word more, and look at the word care. He tells them, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. He's talking about people, right? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. People often are referred to as sheep. Might sound like an insult, but it's a biblical insult, so it's okay. Um, there's something that we have in common with sheep. So Jesus is saying, Peter, I need you to lead people. You, you're a strong personality. You can handle it. Yeah, you fought the wrong battles sometimes. You made some messes, but I've given you gifts. Gifts, you're gonna do some big things, man, some big things other people can't do. I need someone, I need someone, he says, in a sense, when I go back into heaven, someone needs to preach at Pentecost. Someone needs to have the 
backbone and the guts to get up in a crowd that could be hostile and tell him Jesus is the Messiah. Repent and believe in him. So Peter did that. He had that strong uh, preaching exhortation gift and he gave it out at Acts 2 and thousands of people came to know Christ. Jesus says, I need you to do that. I need men like you running the church. So he's telling Peter, I want you on the team. He restores him, but look at this, restores him both to relationship with God, but to responsibility to other people. So if you're today just saying, I just want to have my private time with God, I, you know, I'm okay, I don't want to bother anyone, it's just my private thing. I want you to know the Lord wants you to have responsibility for other people. He's got something for you. You're going to miss out. You're going to miss out if you don't jump in there. That's why I push small groups. It's not the only way to do it, but it's a practical way. So I know every Tuesday night, my wife and I set aside a couple hours. Uh, the groups run 90 minutes, so you know, come early, stay late, and fellowship. So we set aside that time to say, we're going to gather who we can. We're going to fellowship. It's good for us uh, to work on our marriage and hear from other people. Uh, and it's good for us to give and encourage others. And there's so many Tuesday nights, I feel like, ah, oh, I don't really want to go. Actually, I'm tired. I don't feel like going out. The great thing, if you've committed and if you said, I'm willing to lead, then you, it's hard not to go, right? Uh, but every time I go, I have to push myself a lot. I'm so glad I went because I'm investing that time, which I probably would not use in the best way otherwise. It's a discipline. It's, you don't just drift into uh, living your best life. You don't just drift into being fruitful. You have to make a commitment, set aside time, get around people. So Peter does that. He finally, uh, at this point, uh, he's restored. And it's a beautiful story. last thing I want you to see is use your gifts. Look at this point. Peter moves on and he becomes the leader he's supposed to be. He was wounded by some things in life, felt bad about pulling out that sword. I don't know if he ever ran into Malchus again. Hopefully not. I'm sure that guy was looking for him, right? Uh, he had some bad moments. He went into a real depressing time there, but he comes back from it. He exercises leadership, becomes the man he's supposed to be for years and years. You read the book of Acts. He's one of the main leaders. Later on, he writes these letters that are inspired, First and Second Peter, and we're not sure, probably around A.D. 60 to 63, it seems like a lot of people would say. So Peter, probably about the same age as Jesus, he's probably late 50s, early 60s by the time he writes those. By the way, the 50s are a great decade, man. They're tremendous. Um, back then, they were old. They had, you know, shorter life expand, but now 50s are the prime of life, I say. That's my opinion. I don't know. That, that's... <laughs> After the first service, one guy said to me, he said, no, no, he said, Bro, 60s are better. So I said, good, I'm, I'm glad you believe that. I don't know if I believe it yet, but I'm glad, I'm glad you believe that, right? You are just the right age. But there you go, it's true. You were born at the right time. It was God's will. But Peter, so I want you to picture, he's, he's a little bit older now, mature, let's say, and he writes this letter about the church life, relationships. Look at 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10. Above all, so most important, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So love one another deeply. And yes, we're in church. We're not in heaven. So you know what? We're going to sin against each other. We're going to disappoint each other. I love the small groups, but they're not perfect. Someone's going to say something that was a little out of line or express something that's hard for you to hear. Maybe you, if someone says they're going to call you and they don't, people will let you down. It's hard. But love, the love of God within us is able to plow over all that sin, 
to forgive it, to move on, to release it. Yes, sometimes it needs to be confronted and addressed. I'm not saying we cover up things. Uh, Some things need to be dealt with and some relationships need to end and there's discipline and all that. But the love of God within us enables us to keep going and to find those close relationships and not isolate. It's so easy to isolate and say, well, something went wrong. I'm just gonna do my own thing. I'll watch online and not do anything else. That's not the full Christian life. There's people the Lord wants you to invest in, uh, people he wants you to impact. So when you stand before God, you can hold that bucket before him and you say, good, I'm proud I did this. I'm proud I did that. Maybe the Lord will say, but I had more people I wanted you to talk to. You didn't really finish it all. May we contact and talk to, minister, serve every person we're supposed to impact. There might be someone at your work, uh, some family member, some neighbor you're supposed to talk to. You might say, boy, that person is annoying. I try and avoid them. Maybe, maybe you're supposed to have an impact in their life, right? You never know. So love each other deeply. Love has the ability to overcome sin. People will hurt you, but God gives you the ability to build relationships and overcome that hurt. Amen? Don't let other people's sin cause you to fail to fulfill your bucket list before the Lord. Offer hospitality, having people over. You can also be hospitable in a church building, in a car, in a restaurant. Um, It's not just where you do it, it's how you do it. Hospitality is caring about people, saying, tell me your story. I want to listen to you. I'm going to give you my time, attention. I want to bless you. And then use whatever gift you have received to serve others. It's relational. We don't get gifts just like, oh, I get the gift of peace, so I feel good. No, that's a fruit of the Christian life. But gifts are meant to be shared. You don't want to get to the uh, end of your life and say, here, Lord, you gave me this gift. Here it is back. And the Lord says, what are you giving it back to me? You were supposed to pour it out on people. You may have a gift of explaining the gospel to people that don't know Jesus or uh, don't care, and you have a way of opening their eyes through telling your story, and God can use you there. Maybe you have a gift in the area of prayer, like when you pray, and we, we all pray, but some people have a gifting that they, they hear words. They hear, hear specific direction from God about that person or what they're supposed to do. Maybe you have a gift of teaching. You can explain things, very systematic, compelling way to help people uh, understand how to live their life. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's mercy. I know people with a gift of mercy. I've been in spots where someone is devastated, a close uh, relative just died, and someone is able there to enter into that pain. Now, I, I offer mercy. I'm there. I minister in the area of mercy. I don't feel like it's my main gift, but I've seen people that are just able to enter into that pain. They just have an instinct to hold that person and know what to do. That's a gift of mercy. That's God working through that person, but only if they're willing. They can stay home and say, ah, they might not like me. I'm not going to do it. <clears throat> Listen, God has given you a gift, a gift to use. Offer, use it to serve others. Faithful stewards of God's grace. A steward is a manager. God has given you something precious to use. Use it. Share it. Find a way. You're going to have to plow over some sin. You may go to one group and it doesn't work out, and you go to another group. And again, maybe it's outside of the walls of the church is is your ministry, but find it. Find it. Find what you're supposed to put in your bucket, and don't spend your life on small things, all right? So as the worship team comes up here, we're going to close in a song, and I want you to think about these things. You have a bucket list from the Lord. Maybe you need to say today, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? Maybe I just, I just kind of let life take me wherever it goes. God has a plan for your life. Maybe I need to ask God what that plan is. Maybe I've gotten sidetracked, getting so angry about something, I pick up a sword and I want to fight. 
maybe it's not the right battle, or maybe they're, I'm loving something too much or too wounded, I've isolated myself. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. Maybe you need to use your gifts. The small group tables are in back, off to your right. Go there. If you're not in a group and you're interested, go over there, sign up, find out about it. Take a step of faith. It's an opportunity for you to grow and to go to the next level. And right as we, before we open up this altar prayer time, let me say, maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know, this doesn't really make sense to me. I don't feel those things. I mean, I attend church, but I don't feel like God calling me to a certain thing or I don't feel like I'm supposed to do these things. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Uh, there was a woman here at the first service I was talking to after with someone who uh, seemed like real uncertain, like she didn't understand. She's here for the first time, real fuzzy about, I don't know if I know God, I've been to church. And so there was a, a sister here that's real good at talking to people. I said, talk to her. I left them. I don't know what the end of that conversation yet, but she was there to talk to her because that woman needs to receive Christ, needs to make sure she's made a commitment. So if you're here today and you're not sure if you know the Lord, if you're not sure you've started that life, the Ephesians 2.8, maybe you've never accepted a God's gift by grace in your life, come on up here. We have people to pray for you, okay? If you say, I need to pray about one of these other areas, something's not right in my life here, come on up and pray. We'll pray with you. And then after this worship song, the small group tables are open. Let's worship the Lord.